0: amen. Well, grab your Bibles. We are going to continue in Nehemiah. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter four this morning. So I encourage you to follow along and whatever version you have, even if it's your phone, go ahead and flip to that, but don't be distracted by, you know, something else. Um, but we're going to be in Nehemiah. Here's my first question. Have you ever been uh, watching TV or listening to the radio and heard those, those ads for the magic pill? You know, those, those pills that are like, hey, these cure cancer and they... Uh, will bring back all your hair and all these other special things. And as you listen, you're like, man, I can't believe that pill exists. And then they go to the, the fine print. And normally, this is where they have the, the old micromachine guy, if you remember him, uh, listing up all the small print of, of you know, may cause death. And uh, <laughs> if your heart beats too fast, call your doctor. And just goes down this list. And so you may be listening and hear, wow, this is great. Then you hear the fine print and you go, eh, I'll pass. I'm okay with that. Well, here's the thing about the Christian life. You know, if we are really sold out to Jesus, following him, it's great. It's wonderful. But there's some fine print. And we want to make sure we understand that fine print as we are learning about this story about Nehemiah and we're getting excited about pursuing God, pursuing a holy ambition. There is some fine print. And here's that fine print. It costs there is a cost to following Jesus the way Jesus asks us to follow him. As we've been studying Nehemiah, so far we've seen Nehemiah, uh, the cupbearer to the king of Persia. Uh, this was a little while ago, a couple thousand years ago, and, and he, uh, nation of Israel, is God's people. Uh, they had returned to the area of Jerusalem, Judea. Uh, they had rebuilt the temple, but they hadn't rebuilt the city, and so God's people were back in their hometown, uh, back in their place of worship but they were still under the rule of Persia. And so the king of Persia was still in charge. Nehemiah, a Jewish man, cupbearer to the king, got word that things in Jerusalem aren't great. And so he got what we're calling a holy discontent. He heard that and he was cut to the quick. He, 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 he mourned, uh, he wept for the, the situation there of God's people and God's glory. These things caused him pain. And so he had a dislocated heart, caring about what God cared about. But then he had a broken spirit too, and it led him to pray, and he prayed that God would do something about it. And in his prayer, at some point, we don't see this in the story, but at some point, he realized, Me, I'm in a unique position to see the problem, to do something about it. And so he took a radical step of faith, went before the king and said, Would you send me? Uh, Could I go rebuild the wall of Jerusalem? And the king says, Well, tell me more. He says, Well, Can I have the credit card for the kingdom? You know, can I, I I need some lumber. And by the way, the people down there, they don't like the Jews very much. So can I have letters from you with your seal telling them to back off so we can do this? Anyway, all this happens. He goes and we saw he had, he made a plan. Didn't just step out stupidly. Uh, He made a plan and God started to do great things. The people heard his plan. And last week we saw they started to work. And as they got to work, this this wall started to be rebuilt. Now, not everybody worked, but on on a whole, the people kind of came around this. It is an exciting picture. And as we're seeing this, God uses normal people for great things. And as you hear that, I hope, and we say, this could be you and me and, and us as a church, it's exciting. But if we stop there, then we have the wrong view of Christianity and we'll be surprised when things happen. And we don't want to be surprised. You know, Jesus made very clear. He said this in Luke 9, 23 and 24. And he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. There's the fine print. And if you are watching and you don't know Jesus as Lord, I invite you, come to know Jesus. He loves you. He's been pursuing you. He died on the cross to give you life, and it is free. It's not by works. It is a free gift of what Jesus did on the cross, and all we have to do is repent. All we have to do is say yes to Jesus. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the dead, and I want you to be Lord of my life. If you do that, you're saved. You're given the Holy Spirit. You have your eternity secure in Jesus. Have a new new earth for eternity. It's going to be awesome. But here's the fine print, too. Now you enter this relationship Whereas you put Jesus first, it's going to cost. It's going to cost. And we're going to see in Nehemiah the picture here of some of those costs. And although this was during the time of Israel, before Jesus came, these costs are very similar to what we will go through now. And so here's my question as we get into this. Are you ready to move out of pansy Christianity? You know, that's, you probably won't find that written in scripture. Uh, but we talk around here about we're a battleship, not a cruise ship. Are we ready to move to that next level, that that deep relationship with Jesus where he uses us for great things? If so, it might cost. And so let's look at some of that. Let me pray before we get into Nehemiah chapter four. Lord Jesus, um, as, as I think about this whole concept of following you, of surrendering to you and you doing great things through us and it costs, we see that anybody, anybody throughout scripture who did anything of significance to you. They paid the price for it. It cost. Some of them it cost them their lives. Others it cost them any kind of wealth or, or that type of security, but all of them, their joy was secure in you. All of them received praise from you and God for us in the end to stand before you and hear you say, "Well done, good and faithful servant, that's what we want." So God, I pray for myself, for those here, uh, for those watching. God, that that we would say yes to you, and we would be willing to pay the price, willing to put the cost in for your glory and for the benefit of people, God, because we know that you're worth it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Nehemiah chapter four. Remember, last week, we saw in chapter three, they started to work. Nehemiah cast a vision. They said yes, and they got to work. Let's look at uh, chapter four, verse one. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry. And greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of the brothers, of his brothers, and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him and said, yeah, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he'll break it down, their stone wall. Verse 4, hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt upon their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. So here's the first cost that we see. Now, we've seen Sandballot before. He's a Samaritan. He's a ruler of some sort, and he's going to come up again and again and again. And then we see Tobiah here, uh, an Ammonite with him. And so here's this picture, and they're in the land around Israel. They don't like the Jews. They, they don't like the idea of the name of the one true God being lifted up and his people. Does that sound similar to Christians nowadays? Absolutely. And so the first thing they do is they come and they taunt. You know, and Sanballat here, he looks at him, he's like, what are they trying to do? They're going to build a wall. It crumbles, and, and the rocks are all burned up. They're not going to be able to do it. It feels a little bit like junior high. Uh, with the bullies. Maybe you remember them, and there's the one, oh, look at this. And then you've got Tobiah, that little sidekick. He's like, yeah, yeah. Even if a fox jumps on it, it's going to crumble. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. Maybe you were there. Maybe you've experienced that. But as Christians, if you passionately pursue Jesus and actively seek to expand his kingdom, you will be mocked. This is just a fact in our day and age. You will be mocked. If you're in school right now, junior high, high school, college, and you actually step out and say, I'm going to pursue Jesus, I'm going to live it, I'm going to stand for biblical morality in a loving way, not you know in a judgy way, but, but I'm going to pursue biblical truth, you will be mocked. You will be called stupid. Uh, you will be called ignorant because evolution has been proven true, which it's not. Uh, you, you will be called arrogant, you know, claiming that there's actually one way to be saved, and that's Jesus. You'll be called intolerant. You will be mocked. Are you okay with that? Is it worth it? You know, one of those examples that we've seen recently, if, if you've been watching the news, is Samaritan's Purse, a Christian organization who went to New York and set up a hospital in, in the, uh, the park there. And they went because the hospital's there because of COVID were being overrun. So they went on their own dime. They paid for it. They went and they served the people in the city of New York. Well, there were many in New York that hated their presence because they were outspoken Christians who stand on the truth of scripture and have requirements for their servants to actually be followers of Jesus. Now, they served anybody. They, they didn't discriminate at all. And so, but those in the city said, oh, these are outspoken Christians. They came against them to the point that when they didn't, weren't needed anymore, they came very strongly to get them out. They were mocked. They were made fun of. Just look, Google it. And you'll see the things people said about them just because they were Christians stepping out for Christ. But here's the question. What does Nehemiah do? So they start mocking, what does Nehemiah do? Verse four, he prays. That's the first thing he does, he prays. And I think this is great for us because a lot of times when we're mocked, we wanna defend ourselves, don't we? We wanna stand up, we wanna prove that that God might be true, we wanna prove we're not as intolerant as they think and we try and justify ourselves. Nehemiah just gave it to God. You know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so Nehemiah's like, hey God, you see what they're saying? Will you take care of that because I got some work to do for you. We, again, if people are open to the gospel, let's share. If people have honest questions, let's share. But those that are just coming against us, don't fight. You know, don't justify yourself. Again, give it to God, trust him, and then we continue the work. Now, verse 7, we see this opposition moves from just mocking to actually threats of of violence, to active uh, prevention of God's work being done. Verse 7, or verse 6. Um, so we built the wall, they're mocking, whatever we're building the wall. So we built the wall and the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. That's pretty cool. The wall was joined together. There were breaches in it where an army could just flood through. Now it's halfway built and some accounts differ, but that meant it's probably 20 foot high at this point. When the wall was done, it was probably eight foot thick, 40 feet tall. So they had built it 20 feet. Well, if you're the enemy standing around, you're like, oh my goodness, they just, it's all, there's no holes anymore except for where the gates are going to go, those weren't in yet, um, and they were working. Well, now these enemies of God are getting ticked off, verse 7, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites, man, they just keep multiplying, and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So here, they're looking at it, okay, it's progressing, we need to do something about it. This is a big group of people, all all these different enemies who maybe they weren't all friends until this whole thing about Jerusalem, they united against God's people. They said, we're going to come against it, we need to go stop them. As we faithfully build the kingdom, people will take actions to prevent us why is this so helpful? So we're not surprised. We're not surprised. If we step out, if we get a holy ambition, we're going to go for God's glory and the benefit of people. There will be people that come and try and stop us. It may sound crazy. Again, Samaritan's Purse, there in New York. People actively came out and said, this is not going to happen. We need to stop this. And they did. They were going to move into uh, another area and have a second hospital. And they stopped that from happening. And so people will come against us. We should not be surprised. But what is their goal in doing this? Their goal, you see here in verse 8, is to cause confusion. I think that's helpful. And I looked up that word. Uh, it's confusion, distraction. Their goal was, let's get in there and stop this work. Good work is happening. You know, our, our, let's just cause problems, cause problems. So they get distracted. If God has given you a vision, and he has given us some vision of pursuing him uh, in our own life of holiness, of joining the church and, and, and seeing what God will do through us, expanding his kingdom, don't be distracted from the mission that God has given us. They will try and cause confusion, but we don't need to be confused. You know, some of this, as you remember a couple weeks ago, we had a great interview with Alex and Kelsey. Uh, talking about foster care uh, and sometimes foster uh, adopt, will just again look at our country and what's happened where they have tried to prevent Christian organizations from engaging in the foster adopt because they stand by biblical morality. And so you would think, hey, it's great. There's these people helping kids find homes. Well, others have come and said, we'd rather those kids don't have homes than that they go to your homes. Again, we should not be surprised by this. This is going to happen. But again, what do they do? Verse nine, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. They prayed, and they kept working. The goal was confusion, they weren't confused. They gave it to God and they kept going. They didn't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. They prayed and then they dug the hole. That's how we do it. And so they got going. Now again, just remember, uh, if your holy discontent originates with God, it's his vision, it's his work he's going to get the glory. He's the power in it. So we can just carry on. Again, we're called to follow Jesus. We'll just keep following. Let him handle it. Now, here's where it gets a little bit more personal. Verse 10, we see uh, the discouragement was outside. Now it's starting to move into the camp. Verse 10, in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near came from all directions and they said to us, 10 times, you must return to us. So here's that picture. Now we, we see this, not everybody in that area lived in Jerusalem. In fact, most lived in towns and villages around Jerusalem and they had then come to Jerusalem to build the wall. Well, they had come there, and now there's, there's discouragement. Some of the families outside are, are hearing, wait a minute, the Ammonites and all these others, they're going to come and try and attack us? And so they, for ten, to- 10 times, they came and said, stop working and come home. Stop working and come home. You're in danger. And those in, in uh, Jerusalem doing the work, they looked at the rubble, and they're like, oh, it's too much. Again, they had built it probably 20 feet-ish. Now that the second half of the wall I mean, you've got to build scaffolding or something to get... That's even harder work. So you can imagine they hit this point of a little bit of discouragement. Oh, we've been working so hard, but there's so much left to do. The enemies are coming at us, and so they are discouraged. Here's our point with this one, though. If we're going to be used by God, we cannot be controlled by fear. Some of them were starting to be controlled by fear. They were scared. God had given them a vision. They started for it, and now people were coming against, and they they got scared. Again, our Christian life, if you walk with Christ, you're going to learn, you're going to vassal between fear and faith. You're going to have to choose often. Am I going to give in to my fear, or am I going to walk in faith? And that's what they're faced with. Are we going to be in fear, or are we going to walk in faith? Verse 13, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, In open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and I said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. How wise is this? He puts them in family groups, arms them, and says, remember the Lord and fight for your family. I mean, who are we gonna fight hardest for? Those closest to us. So he just puts them in that group. But the, the key is there in verse 14. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord was great and awesome. I mean, that needs to be just one of those things we say to each other often. Remember the Lord. Uh, w- when our nation is crumbling, it feels like, you know, when there's rioting and looting and, and, and all these, politi- just all this stuff happening. Can we just say this? Remember the Lord who is awesome and great. Remember the Lord. He sees it all. He's in control of it all. Sin has caused this, absolutely. And we're not surprised by when people act like sinful people, but the Lord is in control, and we can trust him, and we can follow him. Same as here. Remember the Lord. You know, don't forget it again this week with all this stuff going on with rioting and things. It just strikes me so much that we as Christians need to be that voice of grace, And reason. When there's these two sides just warring, and and I'm not saying which side is which, but but warring at each other and going against each other, how about we don't engage in, in that verbal battle? How about we are grace, light, and truth? Because everything we say, everything we do, we are representatives of Jesus Christ. And so the way we're reacting to all this, will Jesus look at that and be able to put his name stamp on the things that we say and the things that we do? remember the Lord. He's in control. We can trust him. And then we continue with the work. We continue with the mission. If God has given you a holy discontent, something he wants you to do for him, we continue on. If we're going to be used by God, we cannot be controlled by fear. Now the rest of this chapter, I'm not going to read through it all, but the rest of this chapter, they work. They work, uh, some of them are working with a sword in one hand and, and a tool in the other. Some of them are taking turns working, some will work, and then they'll pass off the sword, trade it for a shovel, whatever it is, they're working. Uh, they're spread out because this, mo- this wall is two and a half miles long. They're working on the whole thing all at once. And remember, it's done in 52 days, awesome. So they put trumpets out. And so somebody's just watching with a trumpet. They said, if you see the enemy coming, blow the trumpet, everybody drop your, your tools, pick up your weapons and go to the place of the trumpet. So they continue working, they plan and they continue in faith. Again, radical faith. God through us will do great things. And here we end chapter four in verse 23. This is Nehemiah writing again. He says, so neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. They continued. They paid the cost. They sacrificed for the mission. People came against them, and Nehemiah clearly was not surprised by it. He wasn't surprised when the discouragement came within the camp, but instead they moved forward with faith. I mean, here's our big point today. When you take bold steps of faith, do not be surprised by opposition, but continue to trust our great and awesome God. I mean, can can that just sink into our hearts? As we pursue God, we will be opposed. In two weeks, we're going to see the enemy. Our real enemy is Satan, the devil, and he he will use people, he will use circumstances to stop us. We will not be surprised by it. We will continue, we will pursue him, we will be faithful, and God is great and he will show up for us. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Uh, I thank you, Jesus, that you have made it very clear that there will be opposition. Jesus, you came say, saying very clearly, division will, will be. Uh, husbands will be against uh, wives at times. Uh, mothers will be against daughters because some will choose to follow you and some will come against you. God, I do pray that we would remember that people aren't our enemies. But God, people are the victims of the enemy and they need you. God, I pray that you would stir in us this passion to grow personally in you, in holiness, in devotion, in our abiding relationship with you, and that then you would lead us to be great husbands, great wives, great parents, great children, great students, great workers. Just go down the list. And that God, you would change our city and our communities, our nation, and our world that you would use us and the other churches in this town and in this country and in this world. Use your people for your glory. I pray that we would have bold faith, willing to go regardless of the cost, and we would go together. God, Scripture talks about, you know, when three go together and one falls, the other two can pick them up. This is why this time of isolation is so hard, because we feel alone and we stumble. We don't have our brothers and sisters there to pick us up. So God, let this time end quickly, that we can be together again that we can pursue you, and as we stumble, we lovingly pick each other up and continue on. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.